Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. Um, it's wonderful to see you all here this morning. It's wonderful to be here with you. Uh, this morning I was just so hit with how thankful I am that we have the opportunity to gather together every week and to worship God as loud as we want. What an incredible privilege. And uh, I feel so aware that there are many around the world this morning who cannot do this. And so while we're here, let's hold them in our hearts and, um, and remember what a privilege it is to be here together. Um, my name is Dana Masters. I am married to the wonderful Andrew Masters who tried to preach a sermon before I preached a sermon. <laughs> you may feel bad for my children because, yes, we both like to talk. And um, we talk a lot in my house. In fact, my, one of my sons said to one of us in the house, I'll not uh, single anybody out, why do you have so many words? He just wants a bit of peace in his life. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning, okay? Don't freak out. I'm not going to have you, like, get up and introduce yourselves to people or whatever. But um, I want you to take your Bible in one hand and wave it at me really quickly. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There are some Bibles on the seats that you can adopt as yours for today. So I want a Bible in one of your hands. Wave it at me. If, if you need a Bible, if some of the Bibles aren't on the seats, wave an empty hand so one of our welcome team know to come and get you a Bible. If you see a Bible on a seat that you don't need, look around and see if someone needs it. Okay? Yeah, good. If you forgot your Bible today and you're waving a black Bible, that's all right. Don't feel bad. I forget my Bible at the odd Sunday. Just put a reminder in your phone to bring it next Sunday also. And if you don't have a Bible, please keep the, the Bible on your seat. That is yours. You're not stealing from us. In fact, you can keep the one on your seat, but I will tell you the secret. They've ordered some new swanky ones that are hard-covered. These ones here, these look very nice, don't they? Very slick. These are in the back in the foyer, and you can take one of those home, and it is yours. Bring that back next week, not to give it back to us, but so that you will have a Bible to engage with while we are preaching the Scripture. So on one hand, I want a Bible, and then in the other hand, I want a pen, a pencil, or a highlighter. So put that up once you get it. If you don't have one, put up an empty hand, and someone will come and bring you a pen. All right? If you need a pen, please let people know you need a pen. Keep waving. Don't give up. They're coming to you. There's only two of them. So give them a three. We need some pens here in the middle. Very good. Very good. You're doing great. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. Well, I tell you this, the other thing that we're going to do it is towards the end of my talk, we're all going to get prayer today. What a wonderful thing to get prayer. Raise your hand if you need prayer. Uh, guys, I'm going to tell you something right now. Put, if you got a prayer list, put me on it. 
please. I will always be up for prayer. All right, so you have a Bible, you have a pen. I want to read a couple of things to you before we get started, okay? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. All scripture is God breathed. As a community, if you've been around us for the last couple of years, you will have noticed subtly that for the last few years, we've been leaning into our relationship with the Word of God with a new and fresh passion and intention. And as you can hear from the scriptures I just read out, God has an expectation, a desire, and an intention for those of us who call ourselves Christians when it comes to His Word. Now, I love, love, love my family. I do. They're incredible. They're lovely. They're my favorite people. My kids are great people. They're becoming, they're at the age where they're like fun to be around now. And their jokes are actually funny. We're not just like pretending to laugh at them. And it's wonderful. But like in every family, they drive me nuts sometimes. And I drive them nuts sometimes. And that's just normal. And I have to confess that oftentimes I am driven to the edges of my sanity by this, this one thing. There's like one big theme in our house that will really push me over the edge. And it's the theme of like housekeeping. Anybody else with kids got that same thing going on? Maybe you don't even have kids. Maybe you're just living with somebody else. Maybe you're living with yourself and you're tired of yourself. <laughs> I think everybody goes through this, but I feel like I repeat myself over and over and over again. Clean up after yourself. Sort out your personal spaces. When you use something in the kitchen, put it back. Right? And there are times when my very sweet children, they can sense mommy is about to blow. And daddy has taught them this thing that keeps them from, well, keeps them alive, really. It's a really lovely thing. 
And they will come to me with their most innocent faces on and their voices that say, what's, what's going on? And they'll say, mommy, what can I do for you right now? Is, is there anything I can do to help? And whilst that is so sweet and I love that they're learning that, that, that can tip me over the edge. Cause I'm like, I feel like I've been telling you for five years what you can do for me. It never changes. Literally when they say, is there anything I can do? I say, yeah, clean your room and tidy up after yourself. Literally, if you did that, my world would be near perfect. It would change everything for me. For those of you here in the room, just imagine that the people you live up, live with, clean, their personal spaces and tidy up after themselves. Just imagine the world, that magical world where that happens. What's that? We can do ministry. Prayer team, come on up. We're going to pray for some supernatural intervention here. But when I tell them that, I can see their faces sort of fall and their eyes sort of glaze over um, because that's not what they wanted to hear, is it? They wanted to hear something exciting, something new that they could do. They don't want to hear that boring, mundane thing they've always heard. But I think that um, that's the way God sort of experiences us sometimes, isn't it? I say to my kids, if you did it, it would change everything for me. And I think that's the way God is looking at us when, when we come to church and we hear like a really inspiring sermon and we listen to the hottest new worship album that's dropped on Spotify and we watch some of the most incredible church services online and it sort of stirs our spirits and we go, God, yes, we want that. We want revival. Come move among us. Come speak to us. And then when we look around our lives, our messy lives, and our communities where we see people are struggling, and, and our weak country, and we're just like, God, please come. We need a miracle. What can we do to bring about this miracle we need from you? And he's like, the same thing I've told you this whole time. Open your Bible. Meet me there. Know my word. Fill your hearts and your homes with my holy scriptures and watch what I do. But that's not cool. It's not exciting. It's not immediate. There's no rush. So we just don't. There is a thing called the Center for Biblical Engagement, okay? And these people, these nerds, just kidding, just kidding. Actually, being a nerd is a really cool thing at the moment, so that was a compliment. They love to research, shocker, biblical engagement, okay? So they just did this massive study a few years ago where they polled... 400,000 people globally, not just in the West, globally, from the ages of 8 
to 80 years old because they were curious to see if reading the Bible actually did anything to make people's lives any different. They wanted to know, like, do people who read the Bible, their lives look better than people who don't? And if so, they want to know how much of the Bible do you have to read before anything happens? And what they found really shocked them, actually. They found that people who read the Bible anywhere from zero to two days out of their week, there really wasn't much difference between them and people of no faith who did not read the scriptures. They didn't find any difference in their lives, what they were reporting that was the issues in their lives, things like alcoholism, loneliness, depression. It was all very much the same. But for those people who read the Bible four, that was the magic number, four or more times a week, they noticed some pretty significant things, okay? Those people experienced a 43% decrease in bitterness, a 32% decrease in anger, a 30% decrease in reports of loneliness. A 42% decrease in those who dealt with alcoholism. A 59% decrease in an engagement with pornography. And this blew my mind. For those of us, and I'm including this in my, me, myself in this, who struggle with sharing our faith and have, grow, have like gone through our Christian lives with some sort of guilt and shame that we don't tell more people about Jesus, 228% more likely to share their faith. And those are just some of the findings. One of our leaders here at Lagan Valley Vineyard, Stuart Bothwell, has poured so much of his heart and his time by putting this incredible Bible plan together for us for the year. This is going to take us all the way through 2024. And these are free. Nobody's getting famous off of these. Stu doesn't get anything from this. These are for you. It's a gift for you. And if you're here this morning and your life is perfect as it is, you keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about what I'm about to say. But if you're here this morning and um, you have a need for God in your life, you have something in your life that you cannot change on your own, that you cannot do on your own, that you need God for, if you're struggling with things like loneliness and depression and anger and alcoholism and pornography like every other average person that's walking around on these streets and you need God, please do not leave without one of these. Now, the bad news is, where's the box? That's all we have left, okay? There was such a massive response to this. That's all we have left. But the good news is, if you want one, and by the time you get up here, they're gone, 
if you would just email Stuart at LaganValleyVineyard.com and say, I need a prayer, a Bible reading plan. We will print some more and make sure you get one. All right? All right. Good. Now, you still got your Bible? You still got your pen? All right. So I'll tell you what we're going to do for that with that. When I read through this week's passage, normally I make you stand up because there's something so wonderful about standing up and honoring the word of God when it's being read. And I still believe that and I love that. But this week, you're going to sit down. Because this week, when I read through the passage, I want you to follow along with me and I want you to underline what stands out to you. Okay? What stands out to you? doesn't have to be what you think is going to stand out to anybody else. What stands out? I have underlined some weird things in the Bible before, just like people's last names and things, okay? There's no, don't, don't try to edit it, just what stands out to you, okay? This is a simple way to not just passively read the Bible without picking anything up, but to make sure you are interacting with it and posturing yourself so that God can speak to you. Okay? And I, I truly believe that these scriptures were given to us because every bit of it exists to tell us something about who God is. He has gifted the scriptures to us because he wants us to know who he is. Every story, every genealogy, all of it is there to tell you something about him. Okay? So, Bibles, pens, let me open my Bible. We are in the book of Ruth today. And not just today, we actually are starting a new series. Ruth, we're in chapter one today. And we're going to look at chapter one, which is a story of loyal love. All right? If you're in the black Bibles, I think it's on page 179. If you're in any other Bible, I don't know, but there is a table of contents in the front. I use my table of contents all the time. I don't know where anything is in the Bible. I, Genesis, that's what I know. Genesis and Revelation, I can go straight to them. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, that's the first and the last book of the Bible. Everything else I get in that contents, okay? I can't even keep my children's names straight. Forget about where things are in the Bible. So, are you ready to underline? All right, here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and sons, two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. 
May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, could this be Naomi? Side note, Naomi, the word means pleasant and gentle. So they said, could this be Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is a good, good story, you guys. This book has so much gold in it. I was telling someone this morning, there's about 10 sermons could be preached from that one passage we just read, and I can only preach one of them. This is a story about loss and redemption. A story about two incredible women. A story about love and loyalty. And whenever I go to read any scripture, my question is, God, what is it you want me to know about you right now? So I did the exact same thing this past week as you just did. I sat down, I read it a bunch of times, and I started to underline what stood out to me. First thing I underlined, I found almost immediately in verse one. I underlined there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. This book and story start out making sure we understand the atmosphere this family were in at the moment we enter into their story. In Judah, 
the economy had taken a massive downturn. We know a little bit about that, don't we? But it was worse than a recession. It was more like a depression. People could not eat. There was no food. And one of the key women in this book of Ruth, Naomi, her husband and her two sons, have to leave their home. To leave their home. And search for a more stable life. Now, what's really interesting is up until this point, we can see that Naomi had been blessed in life. And we know that because Naomi was married to a good man. And back in that day, getting married was a societal need. A woman needed to be married to have a sense of security and safety, okay? So she was blessed, she, she was married, so she had stability and safety. And then she gave birth to children, which in and of itself was celebrated back then because that spoke to your future and your legacy. But Naomi gave birth to two sons, which was the best you could do. Because sons meant more stability, more future options, more legacy. So her present was good, her future looked great, and then the famine hit. But it was okay. She had to leave her home, but it was okay because she had her stability, her security, and she had her future legacy and her future security, and they all went together and they left their home. And immediately, I don't know what it says at the top of your um, paragraph above chapter one, but in mine, it says, Naomi loses. And that's what we walk through in this chapter. We watch the decline of Naomi's life. And so many of us in this room can relate to feeling that sense of loss just a normal family, a blessed family, ticking along when circumstances decline and drastically change for the worse. The second thing that I underlined was in verse 13. Naomi, Naomi is on the road with her daughters-in-law back to Bethlehem, back to Judah, because she heard that the famine was over, that God had blessed those people and they have food, and she wanted to go back home. And she says to her daughter-in-law, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And then she carries on that theme in verse 20 and 21. She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I think it's safe to say that Ruth and Naomi's other daughter-in-law weren't hanging around because Naomi was great crack. <laughs> she was not having a good time in life, okay? 
She was not the same Naomi they would have met in Moab. She probably hadn't been the same since her husband died or probably even since the famine. And all we know is that her life was in decline. And at this moment, this moment, for whatever reason, on the road to Judah with what was left of her life, the remnants, the fragments of a broken life, her daughters-in-law, in the middle of the road, it hit her. It kind of reminds me of, you know, if you were ever like driving with one of your parents when you were a kid and you're on a road trip and you slowly chipped away at their sanity by singing dumb songs and fighting with people in the car. And, all, and then there came a moment where they just slammed on the brakes and they were like, that's it. If anybody in this car talks again and you're like, oh my gosh, right? I feel like it was nearly that type of moment where she was on the road back, still trying to make it work, trying to hold some kind of life together, and it hit her. She turned to her daughter-in-laws and she said, it's over. I I've hit my limit. Uh-uh. I've survived all I can possibly survive. I'm done. I have obviously fell out of favor with God. Even he's not for me anymore. In fact, you know what? You know what? Do not call me pleasant and gentle anymore. Do not call me Naomi. Call me bitter because that's what I am. I'm done. That was her moment when it all got to be too much. Have you ever been there? Where you were like, I'm done. I've, I've hit it. I've had enough. I can take no more. I, I truly believe that there are some of us this morning in the room who are grieving. And you are bone weary and broken hearted. And what you're grieving is the loss of what you thought life would be. A circumstance have happened there, they're outside of your control and it's rocked you to your core. I sense for one or some people in this room this morning, there's a disappointment around family, a grieving around family. Maybe, maybe marriage isn't what you thought it would be. Maybe you're looking around like, how come everybody else is having an okay time in their marriage and we just can't seem to get it together? Or maybe um, extended family is really tricky and painful. Or maybe motherhood or fatherhood feels like a real burden right now. And you're almost embarrassed to admit how hard you're finding it. Or maybe you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to start a family and it just has not, won't happen. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us this morning through your word that is alive. Give us a word, Lord. 
Give us a revelation of your word that will carry us through whatever season we are in. Come, Holy Spirit. The third thing that stood out to me, maybe you underlined it too, because it is one of the most um, popular verses in the Bible, verses 16 and 17 of Ruth chapter 1. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. Now, Naomi had her moment on that road back to Judah. That the moment that she decided she could no longer do it. And now Ruth is having a moment for the both of them. And what's really crazy, you guys, this is the pivotal moment in the book of Ruth. If this moment didn't happen, the rest of the book of Ruth would not exist. This is the moment, and these women don't even know how important this moment is. Here Naomi is, she know, she's going back home knowing she left blessed and happy with the option of moving her family for a better life. And she is coming back humiliated, empty and feeling very small. When she gets back to Judah, by the way, she's going to have to depend on the kindness of others to take care of her. All that security, all that legacy taken away, and now she probably doesn't even know where she's going to live when she gets back home. In this moment full of pain as these two women on the road going backwards with all the loss and devastation between them have this pivotal conversation. And in this raw moment with all her broken and sadness and her insides just out for the whole world to see. Naomi begs Ruth, go away from me. Because I think the only thing worse than losing everything and feeling humiliated is someone to witness you losing everything and feeling humiliated. She says, go away from me. Go back to where you came. I'm going to go and whatever. Try to live out the rest of my days. I told you this morning that we're going to get prayer this morning. We're going to pray for one another. Because I think it's important that we take the time to not only open God's word, ask God to speak to us through his word, but most importantly to respond to what he's saying to us.
there's three things that I sense the Lord is inviting us to engage in prayer with today. Now, if the Lord is speaking to you a fourth, a fifth, a sixth thing, take it. But the three things that I really, really feel is happening in the room this morning. The first one is, here in chapter one, we see Ruth. Ruth does not worship the one true God. She did not grow up an Israelite knowing the one true God. Actually, where Ruth grew up, there are many gods. And you hear that in chapter one where she says, go back to your gods and to your people. There's no indication here that Ruth had had any sort of revelation of the one true God. And yet, Ruth is the one that God uses to reflect the character and nature of the Holy Trinity onto Naomi, who did grow up with the knowledge of the one true God. Ruth in this moment is God's vessel to reflect back to Naomi who he is. She's devastated and done, ready to quit. But Ruth said, I'm not leaving. And I sense that some of you this morning, you identify with Naomi. You're also devastated and done. You're also ready to quit. And Jesus is here this morning wanting to reflect onto you his loyal love. He wants to give you his commitment that he has never left you. He will never leave you. So that's the first thing I think that some of you will want to come and get prayer for this morning. To accept that loyal love from Jesus in this moment of devastation and brokenness. The second thing I think uh, there's opportunity for prayer for this morning is this loyal love moment is the turning point in these two women's story. I can't wait for you to hear more of what is happening in the coming weeks as we continue in this book. You'll not believe it, but I said it before, it wouldn't happen if it weren't for this moment. And some of you this morning, you identify with Ruth. Life is not perfect. Remember, Ruth is a widow now. Ruth lost her husband. And funny enough, some scholars actually, we see Ruth as probably like 20 in her 20s. There's a lot of scholars that actually believe Ruth at this stage in her life was 40 years old or nearing 40, okay? Which we all know is the new 20s, okay? But back then, it was the new 80s, okay? That was, that was old. There was nothing coming really for you after that, right? And so maybe you identify with Ruth. It's hard, you're not sure what the future holds. You're a little unsteady. You maybe don't have that security. And yet, the Spirit is prompting you this morning that now is the moment 
where you reaffirm your loyal love to Jesus. Where you rediscover that commitment that you made to him, that first love that says, Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying with you. I'm walking with you. Whatever is to come, I'm here. I love you. And the third opportunity for prayer this morning is my favorite because I know that maybe in this sweet country, this word is a horrible word and we hate it because maybe it's been used against us or used to make us feel ashamed. But I do really feel like the third opportunity for prayer this morning is one of repentance. And please believe me when I tell you repentance is such a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But I feel that the Holy Spirit is inviting some of us to repent from our obsession with ease. The next shiny thing, moving from gimmick to gimmick to gimmick and not doing the faithful thing the reading the word consistently, the filling our hearts with his word no matter what, the consistent showing up, the loyalty to our commitment to God and his holy word. And if that's you this morning, that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful moment. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I'm going to invite... Those in the room who uh, our staff, our ministry team, if you lead a tribe this morning, if you serve on any of the serving teams, and you are willing to pray with people this morning, will you come and sort of just come along the front here? Church is such a funny thing, isn't it? Sometimes we almost forget why we come here every Sunday. <laughs> it's just kind of habit. But we come here every Sunday out of obedience. Because the Bible says this, don't give up the meeting together. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Because as Andrew says, this journey that we're on is not to be done individually. It's to be done in community. And so when you come this morning to receive prayer, you're not saying, oh, let me go up to these holy saints and confess how horrible I am. I'm, I know these people. They're really nice, but they're not saints. Okay? None of us are in that way. Or maybe we all are, however you want to look at it. But coming to receive prayer, even that physical act of getting out of your seat and saying, yeah, I'm doing life in community with these people. And we're here for each other. And we're encouraging one another. 
and we're praying for one another. So will you stand with me this morning? The worship team is going to lead us in a beautiful song. And as soon as that music starts, or even before, if you feel so led, I want you to start making your way to the front. Find someone to pray over you. To receive God's loyal love for you. You'll never find anyone more loyal, more committed to you than God himself. Come up this morning to give your loyal love back to Jesus. You'll never find any more, anyone more worthy of your commitment and of your loyalty than him. And come this morning to do that beautiful thing, to repent for any ways that you haven't shown your commitment to the Lord, that you've run after the easy thing in the easy way. So come.